in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 1. We are continuing our Bible study uh, on the subject of the tabernacle. And of course, the tabernacle was the um, uh, temporary tent dwelling place of the children of Israel as they journeyed through the wilderness. And really up until the days where David uh, built, or I'm sorry, David prepared for and Solomon built the first temple. And uh, But you find it all throughout the Old Testament there. And we've been looking at the tabernacle, the different parts of that. And so uh, because we're getting ready to go through a building program, uh, we are uh, looking at the different building programs in the Scripture. So if you find your place, stand with me together. Leviticus chapter 1. I'll read verses 1. Uh, Leviticus chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The Scripture says, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him, Out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speaking to the children of Israel, and saying to them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priest Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Let's pray. Lord, again, we love you tonight. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here in your house. Lord, around your people, Lord, the singing, the prayer request, everything that's gone into the service so far, God, we thank you for now. Meet with us as we open your word. Speak to us, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. It's been a couple weeks since we've... Um, <clears throat> Uh, talked about this and uh, did our Bible study or, or in the Bible study on this subject. And so just a quick review, and I won't take a lot of time, but just kind of catch up a little bit. Uh, when we first started talking about the tabernacle, we talked about the people of the tabernacle. Uh, we talked about Moses, Aaron, his sons, the priests, and, and all the people God used uh, for the service of the work of the tabernacle. Uh, we talked about the, uh, it, uh, the tabernacle itself, its construction. Uh, how it was made of the curtains, and then it had the different compartments. It had the outer court, which was kind of the outside part of it. Uh, and then you went inside the tent-like structure, and uh, there was the holy place, and then there was the most holy place. And then within the, the structure of the tabernacle, uh, there were different, what's called different pieces of furniture, or different items that were there for different uses. When you walked into the outer court, the first thing you came to was the brazen altar, and that's where a lot of the sacrifices were made. Then right past the brazen altar was the brass laver, and that was for washing and for cleansing. When you walked inside of the tabernacle, the first thing you saw on the right-hand side uh, would have been the table of showbread, and uh, that was where the, the priest, uh, that was their food, also represents, of course, Jesus being the bread of life. Right across to the left, uh, would have been the, um, the, the the golden candlestick. And, of course, that represents the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. That candlestick was to never go out. It was to always be lit. And, of course, it was fueled by the oil, which is a representation of the Holy Spirit of God. And then right in front, before you walked into the, the Holy of Holies, was the altar of incense. And it kind of stood kind of front center right before you walked into the, into the Holy of Holies. And that incense was a continual incense of a sweet-smelling savor that always went up to God, represents the prayers of the saints. And then, of course, you had the veil. That was the separation between uh, the common people and the holiness of God. And uh, once you uh, walk into the veil, you walk into the Holy of Holies. There was one thing in that Holy of Holies, and that was the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. 
And that was literally where the presence of God dwelt with the children of Israel when they traveled there. And just an amazing, phenomenal study. And the key to all this, folks, and I think this was the last Bible study we had on this, the key that unlocked all of this, of course, was the blood sacrifice. Everything was about the blood, the shedding of blood. The, the book of Hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And so it's important that we understand the importance of that. So tonight we're going to look at, and, um, <clears throat> and the next several weeks, uh, look at the different offerings that were offered. Uh, there were five different offerings uh, that the children of Israel would bring to the tabernacle. And so tonight, we're going to look at the first one, Lord willing, and then uh, as uh, the next few weeks, we'll continue on through that. So tonight, the first offering we're going to look at, uh, in fact, the whole first chapter of Leviticus talks about this. And I, for sake of time, I didn't read all 17 verses uh, uh, of those to you. We'll kind of talk through them tonight. Uh, but the first uh, uh, sacrifice was known as the burnt offering. The burnt offering. And the burnt offering was the first of five offerings uh, that God told the Israelites to bring. Now what you see here, you see three different things that could be brought as the burnt offering. And that's kind of what the chapter does. It breaks down to three different things. Uh, the one we read about uh, was something that was brought from the herd and uh, would represent uh, a, a cattle of some kind. And then uh, the next uh, uh, portion, verses 10 through 13, talks about the offering that can be brought of the flock, which of course would represent sheep and goats and those types of things. And then the last one uh, would be the offerings of the fowl. And, uh, and actually what you see here, folks, is that God makes allowances for all uh, financial status of everybody. And of course, people who had some means would have had the herd, would have had the flock, uh, but people who were poor... Uh, maybe they could only bring the fowl. In fact, if you think about this, it's amazing how the Bible just completes itself. You remember when Mary and Joseph, uh, they came and they brought Jesus after he was born, eight days to be circumcised? And remember what the offering was that they brought? Two turtle doves. So you know what they were? You know what that speaks of? It speaks of the fact that they were in the lowest class. They were, they, they were, they were in the poverty class because that's all that they had to bring uh, was, the, the, was the fowl. And so these burnt offerings uh, are very interesting as you begin to study them out. Uh, the, the, the person that would bring the offering would bring it to the brazen altar. Of course, that's the first thing you came to when you walked into the outer court. And it was to be sacrificed. And uh, we, we see here how that they would place their hand upon the head of the burnt or uh, the offering, uh, the burnt offering. And it was to make an atonement for themselves. After they killed the offering, the priest would then burn it upon the altar. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. I'm going to give you some things about this, and then we're going to look at some practical application. Here's the first thing I want you to notice, folks, is how that all this, again, ties right back into Jesus Christ and who he, who he was and what he was going to accomplish. Amen? Remember, what do they say uh, uh, the Bible uh, or, or history is? What is history? History is his story, right? And not just the history of the world, the history of everything. It all revolves around Jesus Christ particularly the history here of the tabernacle and all of the offerings. In fact, what we see in the first three verses, and for sake of time, I won't, I won't re, re, read those verses to you, but here's what you see. You see here that the offering was, to, uh, was an offering made unto the Lord. And you know what you find out about that? You find out that for us, Christ offered himself. Amen? Just as they would bring these offerings uh, to offer as an atonement for their sin, 
Jesus Christ offered himself as an atonement Amen. for our sin. And that's why when you read the New Testament and you read some of these statements Jesus made about himself, the people are just scratching their heads. They're like, what's he talking about? He's talking in, in mysteries. He's talking in riddles because they didn't get it. All right? They were looking for They understood the prophecies about Messiah coming to be their political deliverer. That's what they were expecting him to be. The, the disciples even expected that. You know, they wanted him to, uh, you know, uh, come in and, and raise up an army and, and liberate them from Roman rule. That's what they wanted. But they missed the fact that before he was coming as the lion, he first had to offer himself as the lamb. And, then, and really, that's why they didn't get it all until after Jesus resurrected. And a lot of the people didn't get what he was there to do. But if you begin to understand the fact that he was there first to offer himself, it starts making sense. Amen? And so in verses 1 through 3, we see that for us, Christ offered himself. Verse 4, it talks about how he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. We find this for us, every sin was laid upon him. Every sin. I want you to think about this. Yep. Amen? Because again, sometimes, folks, listen, we, we say we get this stuff, but we don't really comprehend it. I want you to understand something. Amen? First of all, when Jesus died, He didn't just pay for sin. Okay? Now, when you first hear that statement, you're like, that's blasphemous. Yes, that's what He did. Oh, no. You need to keep reading, folks. The Bible doesn't say just He paid for sin. He became sin. Now, now, now that right there, folks... <laughs> Unless we unless we just comprehend the closeness he had with the Father, that you know that that's easy for us to say. That's easy for us to read that verse and say, yeah, he becomes sin for us. But oh no, do we understand what that really means? He became sin. Why do you think the last three hours of Calvary, from twelve to twelve uh, uh, p.m. to three p.m., those last three hours? Why do you think God the Father turned the lights out? You know why? Because what was about to happen was so horrific. God didn't want the world to see. When he poured his wrath upon Jesus Christ, and for those three hours, Christ suffered as our sin offering, as he became sin for us. That's a powerful thought. Amen. Listen, if you would think about that, if you would understand that, if you would get that, listen, that would transform our lives as Christians. And we're going to see in just a minute, when we go to Romans chapter 6, what that means in the spirit world for us as Christians. Amen? Because let me tell you something, folks. It wasn't just things happened in the physical world when Jesus died. Let me tell you, his death rippled the whole spiritual realm. I'm talking about amazing things happened in the unseen world when Jesus Christ gave himself on the cross. And so here, this offering, this burnt offering in verse 4 uh, represents the fact that for us, every sin was laid upon him. By the way, that means our past sins were laid upon him. Nobody's excited about that. Nobody's thankful. Let me try that again. Amen. Our past sins were laid upon him. Hey, our present sins are laid upon him. Hey, our future sins are laid upon him. Amen. Now listen, we're not talking about, you know, using this as a justification to go out and live how we want. That's not that's not the right mentality about it. Amen. But I'll just say this, folks. All of our sins were laid upon him. And then we see in verses 5 and 6, we see this. Now, now I'm going to point out some things to you here that maybe you never thought out before. We're going to look at some other passages here. But, but listen to these verses. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Notice this, verse 6. 
he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. Look at what that means, folks. That means for us, Jesus was slaughtered. This wasn't just a, you know, slit the throat and this thing died. That's not what this was about. Listen, literally, the sacrifice was hacked to pieces. I want to show you some things here again, because I want you to think about this, and I want you to get this image in your mind, okay? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52. You know, truth be told, and I, I hate to even use this comparison, but it is it is really is true, okay? Sometimes we read the Bible through a, you know, G-rated, you know, version, okay? And, and again, I, I think we need to be appropriate with, with our children and all that, but let's be honest. If you really read the Bible, it's pretty R-rated. Okay? And I hate to use that comparison to movies about the Bible, but in our vernacular, we understand what that means. Okay? Isaiah 52. I want you to see some verses here. And, uh, and I want you to understand what it was Christ went through when he died. Okay? Look at the last three verses of chapter 52. Okay? Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astoned at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, the kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall see, shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Now what we see here, we see a future prophecy about the sufferings of of Jesus Christ. He's referred to here as my servant. Talking about the servant of the Father, of Jehovah God. And it talks about how that as many were astoned at thee. Okay? Uh, by that, we're basically talking rendered speechless. Okay? Where we get our word astonished? The fact that you just can't hardly comprehend what's happening. Okay? His visage, or, met, or what that word visage talks about, his physical appearance. His visage was so marred. So you know what that means, folks? That means this. What Christ went through, okay, it's not what, if you've ever seen any kind of Hollywood movie about the crucifixion, okay, or some picture, you know, some artist rendition. It wasn't just a little bit of blood trickling here, a little bit of blood trickling there, a couple little red marks across his chest where he got whipped, a couple little small red holes in his hands where he got nailed. That is not what was going on. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I don't know if anyone could even really comprehend what was happening. I mean, folks, listen, when the Bible says his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men, you know what that's telling us? That Jesus Christ suffered unlike anybody's ever suffered and looked more horrendous than anyone's ever looked that's gone through some kind of that suffering. Literally, folks, literally, he didn't even look human when he was hanging on that cross. I mean, do you even understand what that Roman cat of nine tails did to his body? I mean, we talked about it before. I mean, literally, the point of, of the scourging was to, and it killed most people, honestly. It killed a lot of people. It was to take them to the verge of death. I mean, is that, is that scourge ripped across their body? The Bible talks about with his stripes we were healed. And, and that Roman scourge had, at the end of that scourge, there, there, there was a, the reason they called it a cat of nine tails. Okay, because it had uh, nine lashes on it, and they had bits of metal and bone and glass. And when that thing, when they would hit the skin, pull the skin off, he was flayed alive. Is really what happened. Let me show you another passage here. Go to uh, Psalms chapter twenty-two. This is a uh, 
a, a, a prophecy here of his suffering that he went through, Psalms 22. The whole passage really is. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole passage. I just want to point out a couple verses to you here through it and show you some of the things about his suffering. Notice what we see here at the beginning of verse 1. By the way, this should sound familiar to you. Notice what he says, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's exactly verbatim what Christ uttered during those hours of darkness we just talked about. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? By the way, notice here when Jesus addressed, everywhere else he always addressed him as my father. Father. But here he didn't address him as father, he addressed him as God. Because no longer was God the Father dealing with Christ as the Son. He was dealing with Him as sin. You understand what He went through for us? Okay? Verse 2, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but Thou hearest not in the night season, and am not silent. And then let's skip down to verse 6 and 7. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn, they shoot out the lip. They shake the head. So uh, talks about the mockings. And we find that it's true when you read the crucifixion, the crucifixion accounts in the Gospels. How that the people were mocking him and jeering him uh, as he was hanging on the cross. And then look down at verse 11. Verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. Ever wonder what he's talking about there? Was Jesus talking about that there were cattle mooing at the base of the cross? That is not what he was talking about. You gotta understand the scriptural context here. You gotta understand what he's talking about when he's talking about Bashan. You go study that out through the Old Testament. Bashan was the land of King Og that you read about the children of Israel. It talks about bulls. Uh, the, that was the, the, the false deity. That those people, by the way, Og was a giant. Reread it, Old Testament. Amen. Og was a giant, and uh, it's talking about those false deities, and they and and they, the, the heathens would worship the bull god. Okay, and what he's talking about when he's talking about many strong bulls of Bashan, he's talking about spiritual entities, the dark, the the the, the unseen world we can't see, the the the, the evil forces that were all around him when he was suffering for us. Listen, folks, Jesus didn't just suffer physically. You understand he suffered mentally, emotionally, yes, physically, and also spiritually. Anything and everything you could face, he's done faced it. He's, now listen, emotional pain. People have a lot of emotional pain the day and age we're living in. People have a lot of mental pain. People have a lot of, of physical pain. People have a lot of spiritual pain. Jesus Christ knows about it all. Because he suffered through all of those Amen. things. Man, that's, that's powerful when you start reading yes. that. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. Again, are you noticing all the, 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 the context here of what was happening at the crucifixion? And all my bones are out of joint. Think about that for a minute. Okay? Have you ever had something out of joint before? Have you ever thrown a shoulder out of joint or something like that? The worst I've ever had, I think one time when I was a kid... I was playing basketball, and I got hit the basketball, and my finger got popped out of joint, okay? That's the only thing I ever remember. Sometimes I have a little bit of joint pain. Listen, if you have joint pain, it's not, it's, it's not pleasant at all. Could you imagine all of your bones being out of joint? 
By the way, you know when that happened? When they dropped that cross in the ground when that happened. And his bones came out of joint. Okay? My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. Listen, folks, those things right there are not talking about physical uh, uh, human things in the spirit world here. Dogs, the assembly of the wicked. Now, you could say, yeah, the Roman soldiers. Listen, folks, that's not what he was talking about there. He's talking about the spiritual darkness that was surrounding him as he was dying. They pierced my hands and my feet. By the way, this psalm here was written 800 years before the Romans came on the scene and used crucifixion as a means of death. Don't tell me the Bible didn't know what it was talking about when it prophesied these things. Okay? Now, I mean, back when they wrote this, that, that wasn't the main means of, of, of putting people to death. Although I'm sure that there were some uh, different uh, nations that did that. They, they say the Romans didn't invent crucifixion. They perfected it. That's what they tell us. But they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. That, notice this. Think about that. I may tell all my bones. You know what that means? You can see my bones is what he's talking about. Okay? They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vestures. Listen, folks, all that to say, back to what we're talking about in Leviticus, when that Jesus Christ, when it talks about how that sacrifice was slaughtered, it was killed, it was cut in pieces, that's what he went through. That's what he went through. By the way, you know why he went through that? Because he loves you and he loves me. Amen. And that ought to do something to us, Amen. folks. That ought to affect us right Amen. there. Yep, right. Amen? And so for us, he was slaughtered. And then what else do we see back in Leviticus? We see that for us, he was talks about here. Let me get back to my place here and read these verses to you. Verses 7 through 9. Man, I, again, folks, uh, this, this is good stuff. Amen? And who would have thought that when you read all these sacrifices, begin to study them all out, what it, what it means for us today and how it relates to us. It says this, verse 7, The sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head, the fat, in order upon the wood that's on the fire which is upon the altar, but his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. You know what that's talking about? Being wholly consumed. I mean, listen, if you put something on, on that kind of fire and you let the fire do its business, it will wholly consume it. And that's exactly what happened with the sacrifice. And of course, Jesus Christ was wholly consumed for us. And so we see here uh, the, the burnt offering, what it represents. Now real quick, let me take a, a couple minutes and let me show you a couple things about the person that was bringing the offering. Because again, this is just direct uh, uh, relation to us and how it relates. The first thing we see about the offerer, the person who brought the offering, was that verse 3 tells us it was a voluntary offering. It says this, it says, if his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. By the way, I didn't even talk about that. But that right there, a male without blemish, a picture of Jesus and who he was and the fact he was sinless. He shall offer, and notice here, of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Listen, this was not a required offering. There were some required offerings, and we'll talk about those. 
a sin offering, a trespass offering, but that's, this one wasn't required. This was voluntary. By the way, folks, you know why it was voluntary? Because God chooses to work within our own free will. That's why. Amen? And listen, folks, anything you choose to do for God is going to be voluntary. God ain't making you do anything. Listen, God didn't make you come to church tonight. Okay, nobody made you come. Well, except maybe some of you kids. Maybe your parents did, but that's okay. Parents can make their kids come to church. By the way, they'll chase the rabbit trail for a minute, okay? I get so sick and tired of people telling me, oh, I was made to go when I was little. Well, good. You had good parents then. It's almost like a justification. You know, oh, you shouldn't make your kid go to church. Really? You make them go to school? Okay? You make them do other things they don't want to do? I mean, it's ridiculous, this stupid mindset. Oh, well, no, listen, folks. Children need to be made to go to church. Uh, children need to be made to uh, obey. Children need to be made to do things that are right to do. Amen. That's why, guess what? We're parents. Amen? Now, let me get back on where we were at. A little rabbit trails. Had to chase that for a minute, all right? But no, it, it was a voluntary offering. I love the verse of Revelation 22, verse 17. Whosoever will, let him drink of the water of life freely. Folks, listen. It's a whosoever will Christian life. It's voluntary. Nobody made the children of Israel do that. It was of their own will that they wanted to prove their love to God by bringing this burnt sacrifice. Not only was it voluntary, man, don't miss this, it was personal. It was personal. Notice what it says in this hand upon the head of the burnt offering. You know what that speaks of? Uh, a personal accounting or personal identification. You know what that means? You owned it. That's what it means. They own the fact that, hey, you know what? I need to bring this burnt offering for a sacrifice uh, for myself as an atonement for myself. Hey, it ain't for anybody else. It's for me. I'm owning it. My hand's upon it. That speaks of ownership. It speaks of identification. Kind of like in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we have made him a liar. We need to own the fact that we have a sin problem. Amen? By the way, that's the first step in being saved, realizing you're a sinner. Amen? Realizing you can't save yourself. So it meant it was a personal uh, identification. Not only that, we see this. The offerer was accepted in the offering. Notice what it says in verse 4. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement of him. What's that mean? Okay? All right, again, remember, Jesus' blood hadn't been shed yet, but mankind had to atone for sin. And so God accepted this animal sacrifice in the place of the person bringing the sacrifice. Substitutionary atonement is what it's talking about. Substitutionary atonement. By the way, listen, folks, Jesus Christ was our substitute. You better be glad for that, because and that's why people have to go to hell, folks, not because God wants them to, but because sin has to be paid for. And you can either choose to pay for sin yourself by dying and going to hell, or you can say, you know what? I don't want to go to hell. I'll take the payment of the substitute. Amen? Amen. And by the way, God accepts the payment of the substitute. Amen. By the way, that's the only payment He accepts. And that's why you can't add your good works to it. Because you know what, folks? It's not us. We have no power to save ourselves. We have no power to forgive our own sin. We need something greater than us to atone for us. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Amen? And so uh, the offerer was accepted in the offering. And here's what we all uh, we see here back in verse 2. 
this. The, the privilege is offered to all. Notice what he says. Speaking of the children of Israel and saying to them, if any man of you, if any man. By the way, he's not just talking about mankind. Anybody, anybody that's a part. If any man or any person will bring the offering, God accepts. Amen. Listen, it's offered to anybody and everybody. Amen. And by the way, you know what? Is that not the day and age we're living in? We call it the age of grace. Right. Where the door is open. Now, by the way, it ain't going to be open forever. Yeah. That's why the Bible says, and we've been reading the verse a lot lately on our messages on Sunday morning, and uh, when I preach the funerals, I'll read it, but it talks about how that today's the, the day of salvation. Now's the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Amen. What's that mean? It means, hey, if the door's still open and God's working on you, when God's working, you better listen. Amen? What he's saying. But praise the Lord. Listen, folks, the privilege is offered to all. Hebrews 10.10, by the which will we are sanctified to the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I love that phrase, once for all. Amen. By the way, Jesus Christ, His blood was so powerful, His death satisfied God enough, all He had to do was die one time. Amen. That's why, listen, that's why it's really a damnable heresy to think that you can get saved and lose your salvation. It's really spitting in the face of God what it is. Because here's what you're saying. God, your blood enough wasn't, wasn't uh, it is not powerful enough to keep me safe forever. That's what you're saying if you think you can lose your salvation. Amen? And, and listen, oh, you Baptists, once saved, always saved. No, not you Baptists. You Bible believers, once saved, always saved. It's not a Baptist doctrine. It's a Bible doctrine. And I don't believe you can lose your salvation. The Bible doesn't teach you can lose your salvation. Amen? Now, let me tell you something. You, you cross God's lines, He'll whoop the fire out of you because He's a good Father. But at the end of the day, you know what? You're, if you're saved, you're saved. Amen? Once for all. And the privilege is offered to anyone, to anyone who's willing to participate. Amen? All right, we got five minutes left. Let me show you something. Go to Romans chapter 6. Let's tie this all up, put a nice big pretty bow on it. Amen? Romans chapter 6. What's this all mean for us? I gave you some uh, truth here. Let's get right down to where we live at. Amen? Romans chapter 6. Again, this is where we're talking about now some of the things that uh, affects us spiritually by this by the sacrifice Jesus made. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. By the way, that's what baptism is. It's a picture. It's an association with you in Christ. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, okay, knowing what? Those truths that were just taught. The power of your spiritual birth is what that's talking about. Amen? Now, it's not saying baptism saves you, but the symbolism of baptism is powerful. Amen? That's why you ought to be baptized once you're saved. Amen? You don't have to be baptized to go to heaven, but you'll never make it far in the Christian life if you're not baptized. Because baptism is the first step of obedience in the Christian life. And it signifies some things. By the way, it's a picture to the people. Okay? It's a picture to the church. It's a picture to those who see you get baptized. But you know what else? According to the Word of God here, it's a signal to the spirit world as well. This thing of spiritual warfare. This thing of what we're dealing with in the unseen world. It's a picture to them as well. 
because it symbolizes the power of the resurrection is what it symbolizes. And what it says right there, for if we've been planted together in his likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. That's why I say what I say when I baptize. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Listen, folks, I don't just pick out random things to say. It's biblical. All right? Knowing this, here's, this is where it gets real, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Right. For he that is dead is free from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him, for in that he died, he died into sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed into sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members of instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have, there's that word dominion again, dominion over you, fear not under the law, but under grace. Now let me tell you, first of all, these verses are not saying. It's not saying, once you get saved, you'll never sin again. The Bible does not tell, tell us that well, we lose our sin nature when we get saved. Let me tell you what the Bible does tell us. That the sin nature loses its power over us when we get saved. Amen? That's why, you know what? You can, I'm not saying, okay? Some people say, oh, I can live periods of time without ever sinning. Liar. No, you can't. Okay? Listen, but as I always say, okay, sin, the word dominion talks about rule. Okay, by the way, when you get saved, you get a new ruler. Amen? Before you got saved, you had a ruler. It was sin. Sin was the ruler of your life. By the way, that's what sinners do. They sin. Amen? But once you get saved, somebody else sits on that throne of your life. It's on the throne of your heart. That's Jesus Christ. Amen? It doesn't mean you won't ever sin again. It just means this. Sin isn't calling the shots. Jesus is calling the shots. So it goes back to this, folks. You'll never be sinless. But because of the power of the blood of Christ, because of the power of the resurrection, we ought to be sinning less. Amen? Getting victory over sin. Okay? Not living our lives in habitual sin. Now, can we still sin? You better believe it. Because as long as this heart's beating, as long as you're breathing air through your lungs, you're living in a a sin-cursed body. Amen? And remember what the Bible teaches us. Our bodies didn't get saved. Your soul got saved. Your spirit got made alive. But by the way, it don't have to be the driving factor anymore. Amen? The sin nature needs to be on the back burner. And the the Apostle Paul said, we need to die daily to self. Amen? Now all that, going back to Leviticus, to that burnt offering, of what it was a symbol of, what it represents, and what it means for us today. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love you.